Welcome to the C12 Podcast. My name is Anna, and today we have Josh Ivey starting our new series called Miracles. And this week, we'll be unpacking Jesus' first miracle where he turned water into wine. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. Well, good evening. Hey, so I have greatly missed you guys over the past five weeks or so. About five weeks ago, there was about two weeks that I had to take care of some stuff at the Flyer Branch campus on Thursday nights, and I had to put some focus there. And then I was scheduled to speak. Um, and a couple of days before I was scheduled to speak in the middle of the night, I woke up and had a little tickle in my throat. And, uh, you know, it was like, whatever, I get sinus infections all the time, so it's not a big deal. And so, but about 24 hours later, I'm walking through the kitchen, and my wife is cooking, and I cannot smell it. And I went, oh, Beep, and I ran over, got a jug of vinegar, and opened it up, and I couldn't smell it. And I literally put it in a cup and took a whole swig of vinegar and could not taste it. And uh, so I went and got tested, and I tested positive for that thing that's going around. I don't want, yeah, I don't want to uh, say the name because uh, we know Big Brother's watching all the time, the government, and it's going to be scanned, blah, 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 blah. So, uh, uh, but anyways, having said that, that was a fun experience. I'm good now. Went to the doctor. I got approved to be back in public, so I feel less like a leper, uh, which is great. But uh, what was really weird is <laughs> it went through my entire house. So I got sick. My wife got sick. All my boys got sick. But my oldest son, um, so Eric and I are both, like, sick with this. We're exhausted. Like, I'm having a nap two hours, and she's with the boys. And then we take turns. She naps for two hours. We were just exhausted. My oldest son tested positive but showed no symptoms whatsoever. So he's, like, bouncing off the walls, going crazy. We're exhausted. And it was the weirdest thing because I thought, God, I wish he had it. Like, I wish he would get sick just to sleep. Um, and that's when you know that you're a terrible pastor, is when you're wishing <laughs> that the Lord forgives. Thank the Lord for the cross. The blood covers it. I do want to give a shout-out to Alex. I want to thank Alex for stepping in uh, time and time again. Listen, because uh, they were like literally 24 hours in advance, 48 hours in advance. I'd give them up. He'd be like, no problem, bro. I'm talking about it multiple times. So, Alex, we love you, dude. Thank you so much. Uh, it was just, it was awesome. And it was awesome to get to listen to the podcast with you speaking even when I was down. So, uh, great job. I also want to thank Yona and Paul for stepping up as well. Give it up for these guys. Just, it was a team effort. It was really, really uh, awesome. So, um, on a different note... A couple years ago, me and my wife went car shopping. Uh, it was right before uh, Jagger was about to be born, and we knew we had to get a, a bigger car. Well, I'm one of those guys that researches everything. Like, everything about anybody else, just a researcher. Like, if you're going to buy something, you, like, you do your research, and you know more about it than the salesman does, right? So uh, we found this car that, was, that we liked. It was an SUV, kind of a mom car, but it was for Erica anyway. But... Um, uh, so I went, did research on it, looked at the reviews, and I, I got kind of excited when I read the reviews because the, a lot of the reviews said, hey, this is a fast SUV. Like, it's got some power. Now I'm a country boy. I grew up in the South. I grew up uh, racing motorcycles, and we had a quarter-mile strip in the middle of nowhere where me and my buddies would go out and race. He had an old car that had LT1 Cor uh, LS1 Corvette engine in it that would absolutely fly. And so I'm like, ooh, fast car, sweet. And it had other good reviews. So we went, we bought it. It was a used car, so you couldn't take it back. Uh, it's an important uh, bit of information. And uh, so we're driving it, and I'm thinking, sweet, I'm going to open it up. I'm going to see how really fast it is, see how much power it's got. And I put my foot into it, and it was sorely disappointing. <laughs> it sounded like a pissed-off weed eater, just... <laughs> And, it, and I was like, what? This is terrible. And I'm, you know, I'm starting to get stressed and disappointed. I'm like, man, I bought a lemon. But uh, so I just got really frustrated about it. Like, it didn't meet my expectations. The power that I had heard it had, I was not experiencing. Well, one day I'm in it, and my wife has a terrible habit of never putting gas in her car. Uh, so I'm always putting in it. I was at the gas station, so all buddy. He had one that was similar, and he goes, oh, man, you got one, too. Like, yeah, it's for Erica. He goes, have you, have you found the sport button on it yet? I went, the what? 
the sport button. No. He showed me, see, right below drive, you can put it in S. Yeah. He goes, do that. <laughs> All right. I get on the interstate. I put it in the sport button, and I laid on it. And I'm telling you, it threw me back in the seat. I, I'm not kidding when I say I was going. There's a stretch between Hamilton Mill and Brazelton where I know there are no cops. You know the stretch I'm talking about. Praise God. I'm running 122 miles an hour in a mom car. Feel like a bad A. Like, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Kind of what I learned in that journey. I had a lot of power at my disposal. I just wasn't accessing it. And I think a lot of us go through our Christian life the same way. We have a lot of power at our disposal, but we're not accessing it. In fact, you may be hearing other people talk about the power that they're experiencing, about the God doing amazing things in them. Some would call them miracles. And then you started following Jesus, and you're living life, and you're not experiencing that same power. And you're like, what, what, what's like going on? Uh, I thought I was supposed to be getting victory in the Christian life. I'm not receiving that, like, that, that victory. Maybe you're facing battles and challenges, but no victory. And maybe you've even started to believe that your struggles are impossible to overcome. Now, maybe you would never say it out loud because you know that would go against what you say out loud that you believe. But down in your heart, you're starting to doubt whether you can overcome that struggle. Maybe it's a broken relationship that you want mended and you think it's hopeless. Maybe it's physical health or mental health or emotional struggle or healing the wounds of your past or the anxiety of the future. Maybe it's conquering that addiction. Maybe it's a financial situation that you feel like is impossible. Or maybe it's the dream that you have of your life but the obstacles that you're facing in your life, you say, there's no way I can accomplish that dream. It, it's, it's those battles where you have grown hopeless. And there's an internal voice, an internal narrative that can often say to us, it's impossible for me to change. It's impossible for this situation to change. It's impossible for this relationship to change. It's impossible and it's hopeless. Well, tonight we are kicking off a new series, and it's a new series called Miracles. And what we're going to be digging into is we're going to be looking at a few of the miracles that we see Jesus perform in the book of John. And I believe this series is going to be encouraging to us. And, and even more than encouraging, I believe it's going to build our faith in the person in the presence and in the power of Jesus Christ because what we see time and time again in every single one of these miracles is that Jesus makes the impossible possible every single time because with God all things are possible and there is nothing that is truly hopeless and that's not a cute cliche that is a truth that you can build your life on a truth that you that can literally transform your future our God specializes in making the impossible possible in every single miracle we see in Scripture, we have access to that power today through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, and God has the power of literally doing a miracle in your life. So I think this series is going to be fun. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. I think it's going to open our eyes to the power of God. And I also think in many ways it's going to begin to, to prepare our hearts for revival and what God has on the horizon. Uh, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to jump into today's passage and just have a little fun and see where it goes. Okay? So if you would, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We surrender this time before you. It's your word. It's your church. It's your worship. We lay it at your feet. We're not here to... Nobody wants to hear what I have to say or anybody else in here has to say. We want to hear what you have to say, God. So would you speak? Would you speak clearly and directly to us? We love you, Jesus. May we walk out of here more in love with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so tonight we're going to go through our first miracle, and we're going to be diving into John chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open it up or that maybe the apps, uh, the Bible app on your phone. It's going to be John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We're going to be looking at Jesus turning water into wine. Now, before we dive into this miracle, or at least start the studies of miracles, I do want to give you two framing thoughts around miracles. Something that's going to kind of create a framework that sets us on the right course. And these, these will, literally, will be on the screen, okay? So here's the first framing thought before we dive in. Number one, don't seek miracles, follow Jesus, okay? The, a powerful Christian life is not about seeking miracles, it is about seeking Jesus. But if you follow God long enough and far enough, you're going to eventually find yourself in the middle of some miracles. So the point of this study is not, how can I experience miracles? That is not the point of this series. The point of this series is, how can we encounter the person, the presence, and the power of Jesus? Because if you're just using God for smoke shows and magic tricks, your, your faith journey is going to be very shallow. But if you're in it to connect with the heart of God, then he will blow your mind. However, there is a catch when it comes to experiencing miracles. And here's the second point. Here's the catch when it comes to experiencing miracles. Everyone, everyone wants a miracle, but nobody wants to need a miracle. Miracles are only needed when you face impossible problems. Miracles require problems because if you don't have a problem, you don't need a miracle. And nobody, anybody in here love, I just, man, I just love problems. Anybody in here? Liars. If anybody in here, you're a liar. Nobody likes problems, especially problems so big it needs a miracle. However, when it comes to miracles and problems, you can't have one without the other. So when we dive into this, uh, the, or even begin thinking about miracles, we have to change our thinking concerning facing problems. We have to start viewing the bigger the problem, the greater the potential miracle. So that means that we need to quit running from our problems and start running to Jesus with our problems. Let me say that one more time. Some of us in here needs to quit running from our problems, and we need to start running to Jesus with our problems so that he can show up and show off in our lives. But if you never bring Jesus the problem, he cannot do the miracle. So we need to quit avoiding it, face off with it, and better yet, let J Jesus face off, it, off with it for us. All right, we good with that? All right, yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. Very polite uh, southern young man in the back. All right, so that we're going to dive into uh, John chapter 2. I'm going to do what, and if you notice my energy going down a little bit, I'm going to try my best to keep it up. I am still recovering from the unnamed uh, illness. It is draining. I'm telling you, I feel like a sissy. I've had enough caffeine today to kill a small horse, and I'm still struggling. So, but it's going to be okay. So this is what we're going to do today. This is one of my favorite ways of teaching. We, some of us in here have done this with me before. Um, and the way it's going to work is we're going to read through this passage in this story together. And then instead of me just rattling off immediately some of the things that I see, we're going to read it. And then I want to open it up 10, 15 minutes. And I want to hear about what you see in this passage. Uh, and there's a reason I'm doing this. The first reason is because some of us are still uncomfortable with engaging in Scripture, and I want us to get very comfortable with it. But here's the, another reason why I like this way of doing it is because I believe there are some of us in here whom God has called to be pastors and preachers. And I want us to begin tiptoeing into pulling out truths from the Bible and getting comfortable with it almost as a way of preparing you for the calling that you may not know you have. And then when you become a pastor, just send me a note that says thank you. I'll frame it and put it in my office. I promise. 
So we're going to read this passage. Um, and that also means that after we read it, I need your participation to yell some of the things that you see, because if not, this is going to suck, and I don't want it to, okay? Now, a couple of uh, thoughts, uh, the questions you can ask yourself as we read through this is, hey, what does this story tell me about the heart of God? Or what are, what are some of the things that stick out to me in this passage? Or uh, what can I fall more in love with Jesus about in this passage? Okay, are we good? Okay, y'all, you, you got you to gotta work with me here. If we're going to engage and do this thing, we, I need some participation. Y'all going to participate with me tonight? Yeah. There we go. That's more like it. All right, let's throw the passage on the screen, or you can read it on your uh, device. Uh, and let's dive in. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, and all the alcoholics got disappointed. <laughs> so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not, my, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Standing nearby, there were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each one could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the, water, when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servant followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water... That was now wine, not knowing where he had come from, though, of course, the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. And this miraculous sign in Cana, in Cana, in Galilee, was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So, let's have a little chat. Let's kick it around. Uh, raise a hand if you see something that sticks out to you. It could be a bad one. doesn't matter. We'll just get the conversation going. Let's have a little living room conversation, okay? Anybody in here? Not all at once. Yes, sir. Jesus loves, no, Jesus loves people. Jesus does not love alcohol. Not even writing that down. He wasn't scared of it. <laughs> nice try, though, bud. <laughs> what was your name? Uh, Jake or Stephen will work. Got you. Okay. Nice try. But Jesus kept the party going, though. Huh? That's right. It was the best. So now let's have an honest conversation real quick, okay? Let's just, let's just hit it up. Let's just address this topic right off the bat. Was this real alcohol? Yes, it was. If you do historical research, there's some denominations that will go, no, it was fermented grape juice. No, it wasn't. It was wine. It was not Welch's. Okay? Now, I don't have time to go through the biblical discussion of alcohol. But what I do know is that Jesus kept the party going. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. He kept the party going. Now, Jesus also makes it very clear that we're not to be drunk. We're not to be given to wine or owned by wine. It also means that you obey the law of the land. So if you ain't 21, you're, that's sin. Okay? Just because it's okay to do doesn't mean it's the wise thing to do. Okay? Just because it's okay to do doesn't mean it's the wise thing to do. This passage is not an excuse to have some type of avoidant escape mechanism that you're using so that you don't have to run to God with your problems. God does not, God is not going to provide you with alternatives to himself. 
because that's called idolatry. So if you have a problem with the idea of giving up alcohol, maybe it has an improper place in your heart. But if you got no problem with giving it up, then you don't have to. It's a paradox, isn't it? Aha! <laughs> <laughs> Jesus juked you. All right. All right. It's a great point, though. I mean, seriously, you can't, you can't avoid it. And it was some good stuff. I saw another hand, like, right over here. Yes, ma'am. He, <laughs> he uses others. Okay, he uses others. I want, uh, that is a great point. God uses others, okay? Jesus just wasn't around doing magic tricks all the time that didn't involve anybody. Jesus literally invited other people into the miracle. He could have done it without anybody, but he chose to use dirty fishermen. He, used to, he chose to use people who were probably already drunk. But he used other people. God wants to use you. He doesn't need you, but he invites you into the miracles. The question is, are you willing to obey him when he tells you to do something? Great point. Yes, yes, sir. First time he shows his glory. That's right. Uh, it's the first time he's shown his glory. Now, this is a very uh, theological uh, thing. It's probably one of the reasons why he said at the beginning of the passage, my time has not yet come. Because what he was saying is if I perform this miracle, I'm going to start giving a hint, hint sign that I'm the Messiah. And But mama always wins, though, right? <laughs> but this is the first time this all is glory. This is the first miracle he ever performed. First public miracle, at least, in that. And then immediately... Saw his glory, disciples believed. You want true faith? Ask him for a glimpse of his glory. Yes, ma'am. He was a servant before performing the miracle. Why does that resonate with you? Exactly. Exactly. It is not about us. In fact, in fact, that is the very thing. Uh, there's, a, there's a passage of scripture in uh, Acts, it talks about Simon the sorcerer, where he wanted the power of the Holy Spirit because he was making money off this magic trick. And, and the apostles rebuked him and said, no, we're not giving it to you because you're doing it with an alternative motive. They were wanting it. If you want attention for what God is doing, you are going to castrate all spiritual authority that's taken place because God will not pour his favor on anything that's trying to steal his glory. It was done with the servant's heart for the glory of God. And the moment you remove yourself from the servant position is the moment you also remove yourself from being able to be used by God. You are a servant of God, nothing more. And if you ever get a glimpse of who God is, you'll be honored just to be able to be a servant. Very good. All right? Yes, sir. Right, and this dude, like, the, right, the, he was bragging on the wine, like, this is so good. And this guy was, like, the master of the ceremonies. This wasn't his first wedding. This dude had tasted a lot of wine. He literally had to stop the party. Pull the bridegroom over here. I got something to tell him. I know he's flirting with his wife. I know they got things on their mind tonight. I need to tell him something. And he bragged on the miracle. It was an extravagant miracle. God used an ordinary situation to perform an extravagant miracle. How many times do we overlook the ordinary moments? Don't ever overlook the small moments. <sighs> yes. So, God calls the church the bride of Christ. It's a marriage analogy. Jesus reveals himself as the bridegroom of this church divine relationship, he begins to reveal his glory at a wedding. It's his first one. And if you start digging into the layers of the ceremonial jars and what it's used for, all you see is gospel, 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 gospel. I don't have time to unpack it now. It will blow your mind. This was no accident that this was done at a wedding. 
None. Jesus doesn't do anything by accidents. Every single story of his is perfect. Yes, sir. Yes. Absolutely. Hallelujah. Yep. In fact, in fact, let's have a little fun. Let's talk about these jars. Okay. Okay. This is going back to my waste management days. Okay. Thank you, sir. Let's talk about these jars for a second. Okay. Six jars, ceremonial jars. God, these suckers got a good. There you go. These things are great. I don't know where you got them from. They're good. Six jars. These are 30-gallon trash cans. This is the size of the jars that Jesus would have been using. Now, I want you to keep in mind, this is 180 gallons of wine. It is the equivalent of 907 bottles of wine. 907 bottles of wine. When Jesus shows up, he will always go above and beyond what you ask him for. Always. I don't know how big this wedding was. I promise they had some left over. I hope they did. Somebody ended up in the hospital. Here's what's interesting about these ceremonial jars. These jars were used for purification. Ceremonial purification. They were used um, as, uh, it says ceremonial jars. And what they would do is people would come and they would, before and after meals, would come and wash their hands. They would wash their feet. When somebody, when a lady had given birth, they would put her in these jars and wash away the afterbirth. Yeah, ew. That would be the right reaction. They also would attempt to cleanse lepers before they finally gave up on them in these jars. So I want you to look at the symbolism of everything that's taken place. From the church being the bride of Christ to overcoming the law, uh, washing the hands and feet. Purification. This is what the gospel does to us. And listen, and it, he was purifying it so that they could enjoy sitting at the table of Jesus. And if you go back to the dinners with Jesus thing, that God invites us to the table. When you are washing away the afterbirth after giving birth, becoming born again, when it comes to cleansing lepers, those who had been socially rejected, it's God giving those who felt like they were too far away from him a second chance. There's gospel written all over this first miracle. But this is also the part. It's one of the parts that's most meaningful to me. Now, and, and, and let me unpack this a little bit, okay? This is actually... What is it? Let me just hit a few more things in here because I, I don't know where everybody is in, in the rock with Jesus. What we do also see is that Jesus transforms. He transformed. He turned water into wine. He took something and he turned it into something it previously wasn't. The creator of the water made it blush. The water did not turn itself into wine. Jesus transformed it. And for some of us in here, we have been exhausting ourselves, trying to become a better person, trying to overcome the addictions and struggles on our own. We, we're, in, maybe you don't need more self-help. Maybe you don't need more mo motivational videos on YouTube. Maybe you need an encounter with the living God. Because it took, listen, it takes wine years to ferment. Years. In great wine, it takes decades to ferment. But Jesus, in the blink of an eye, did something that mankind could not. He transformed. And some of us in here, are, we're ready to give up on ourselves. And, and you have given up on yourself. And you're so tired of your weaknesses. And the thought that this world would be a better place without you crosses your mind on a weekly basis. And I want to come and tell you tonight that Jesus Christ can transform you.
Jesus Christ can transform your heart, redeem you, and forgive you of all your sins. He can redeem and transform your life situations and your struggles and your perspective on life and your purpose on life. And if there's anyone in here who is so sick and tired of being purposeless and, and feeling like we are a bother to everybody and so sick and tired of walking around in the torment and the prison of addictions and you're so tired of hating yourself, Jesus gives us an invitation to transform us from the inside out. And I have tried under everything, everything on this earth to find meaning. And I'm telling you the only place that can truly, that I have found, truly satisfies my heart it's a transformation of Jesus. So, if you don't know Jesus, my invitation to you is to make yourself available to him. Empty yourself and say, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm yours. And place your faith in Jesus. And watch him fill up your empty jars. And for those of us who do know Jesus, we can say amen to that. Amen? amen. Thank you. Just spitting the gospel over here, you know, looking at me. Deserves an amen. Before I dive into some of the personal things, because I don't want to go too fast about some of the personal things, and we're going to get back to this in just a second. Any other thoughts on this passage? Yes, ma'am. Right. This is, I love this because we get to see the uh, human side of Jesus in the relationship with his mom. Like, there's a, there's a very human thing. Like, Mom! Yeah. Mom, she, no, 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 he'll do it. Just do what he says. Jesus was like, no, it's not my time. Just do what he says. <laughs> I love that. Now, notice he says, do whatever he says. <laughs> What she is saying is that there's going to be a miracle, but you have a part to play in this as well. Like, Jesus doesn't perform miracles, but invite us to sit on our hands and do nothing about it. Like, there is some type of action, and too many times we want to see God do miracles, but we want him to do it on our terms. And so, so it's like, God, I want to get set free from my past. I want, to, I want to get set free from my past, but I'm not willing to forgive those who've hurt me. God, I'm tired of walking through depression, but I'm not willing to go get help. I want to get set free from this addiction. Oh, but uh, no, I'm not going to confess it to anybody and get any accountability in my life. Really? So you're just asking God to operate on your terms. Sorry, God, don't do that. There's a miracle waiting for us, but oftentimes we're not willing to do whatever he tells us to do. We're too busy arguing with them. No, 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 no. Uh, Jesus, I know you want me to go get those jars, but I'm tired. I'm good. Okay. Then there's no miracle. If you want to see a miracle, you have to come to him with the need and then do what he tells you to do. But God wants there to be some skin in the game for us. From us. He wants us there's some type of action we have to take with this. It is rarely a passive miracle, if ever. Yes, ma'am. I saw your hand, too. Yes. They obeyed him, and they didn't even know what he was going to do. Right? They were confused. And isn't it? Many times, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when God tells me to do something, I usually want to know why he's telling me to do something. Give me the end result. Why? I'm going to look foolish. I'm just grabbing six jars. Like... I don't want to leave the party, Jesus. Like, tell me what you're going to do, because I need to figure out whether this is worth it or not. I need to figure out whether my obedience is worth it or not. I want to know the end result. These guys didn't know. And they were even willing to look foolish for it. Uh, God, there's many times that God does the miracle, and we don't know what he's about to do. He just asks us to obey. But through the obedience makes the way for the miracle but again that's going on our terms his terms what he knows what we know so and that's a great thought great insight yes sir boom even if nothing would have happened 
would the obedience have been worth it? Because it still would have been the best water you've ever tasted. <laughs> right? They usually bring the crappy water at the end, but this is the best water ever. Sober everybody up. But obedience would have been worth it, regardless. All right, we started with you. We're going to end with you. Yes, yes. There was, there was the end result had already taken place before they possibly even obeyed. And this is what we know when it comes to miracles, that if Jesus calls us to do something, he's already been working something in the background before we even knew was taking place. Yes, you will not get the full miracle until you're willing to take the action. Absolutely. It started, it's still a part of it. The divine and the humanity kissing in the name of Jesus. It's where they interact, where heaven meets earth like a sloppy, wet kiss. Ooh, listen. Let me tell you something. Some of us need some sloppy, wet kisses from heaven. Because if you've never just needed a sloppy, wet kiss from heaven, then your life is a lot better than mine. Let me give you, I want to I wanna get a little vulnerable with you, okay? And I want to tell you some of my thoughts. And we're going to go back to these jars in just a second. There's a couple things that personally stood out to me in this. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. Uh, I had the ending to this written and ready and polished and ready to go. It had some good stuff. I pulled into the parking lot on the way here. And, it sh and this, hasn't, this has happened several times. It hasn't happened a lot, but it's happened several times. And God made very, clearly, made very clear to me that what I had written is not what I'm supposed to share in this time. And what, it, what I'm supposed to share is personal about what God is stirring in me through this passage. So I'm going to read you some of basically my journal. This will not be polished. It will not be pretty. It will not be clean. But it will be honest. So if you're looking for a dynamic speaker with a, just, a, just a zinger ending, you're not going to get it tonight. We are going to get honest conversation between me and God. There's two things that stood out to me in this passage that God has been stirring. And both of them come, are concerning revival. Because can I be honest with you? I do believe that revival is about to break out. I believe revival is about to break out. I believe it's stirring in our church. I believe the seven nights of prayer God is priming for this. I believe there's going to be an outbreak of salvations. There's going to be an outbreak of redemptions. There's going to be an outbreak of restoration. I believe there's going to be healing. And I do believe there's going to be miraculous signs and wonders where things take place. People are healed. People are set free. That's unexplainable by science or statistics. Okay? Hey, thank you. Amen. I do believe it. You cannot convince me Otherwise, I believe it's going to take place in C12. I believe it's going to take place in our community. I believe it's going to take place in our church, in our territory. So seven nights of prayer coming up in a few weeks. Here's my invitation. Be there. Be there. That's my invitation. However, here's the first thing that meant the most to me. First thing that comes out uh, to me. It comes from verse 3 and 4, and this is what it says. Y'all listen up. Stay with me. Give me five minutes of your full intention, okay? Because I, this is coming out of my journal, and this is personal. Verses 3 and 4. It says, The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. And his mom said, Do whatever he tells you to do. Here's what's interesting. Mary is nudging Jesus to do a miracle, but Jesus had never, never publicly performed a miracle. So how did Mary know he could do it? Because she, she knew because she had privately encountered Jesus' power before she publicly called upon Jesus' power. She had already encountered it. At home, when she was spending time with him, she had already encountered Jesus' power privately. So she already knew he could do it. And when she asked him to do it, there was no doubt in her mind what was about to take place. 
There's been many times in my life that I have grown frustrated with God because we would, I would be with him in public. I would be in a church service, and he wouldn't be moving like I would want him to be moving. Like, God, I, like, we're, we're going after you. We're, we're singing, and, 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 and I, don't, I don't see your power like I want to see you move publicly. And what God has been reminding me in this season is that, or at least prompting me, is then are you encountering me pub, uh, privately first? Because publicly experiencing the power of God starts with privately encountering the person of God. So am I doing my part in the prayer closet? And if I'm not encountering him privately, then why am I mad at him for not showing up publicly? If I'm not willing to be a husband to my wife when I'm at home, why do I expect her to act like my wife when we're in public? We do the same thing with God. And God has been reminding me for the sake of revival to protect my alone time with him encounter his presence privately so that when I step out in public I know he's about to show up and show off because he already showed up and showed off in my prayer closet God has been challenging me again and afresh protect your alone time with me and that alone leads me the second thing the second thought is this God uses filthy vessels people wash their hands and feet in this there's afterbirth in this there's the leftover water of lepers in this it's a filthy vessel And so often when I, if I'm just being honest, so often when I think about revival, I don't feel like I'm holy enough for God to use me. I'm just a country boy from Mississippi. There's nothing special here. I have the same struggles as all humans. I wander through life doing the best I can to follow Jesus and I fail constantly. And I don't feel like I'm holy enough to be used by God. Has anybody ever struggled with that? Like, God, can you even use me? God has just reminded me very kindly that he uses filthy vessels to do amazing work. Because the miracle had nothing to do with the container. It had to do with the one that was using the container. The miracle has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. Thank Jesus. Revival has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. The only responsibility of the container is to be empty of itself. And that is our responsibility. To be empty of ourself. So the thought that God can't use you is a lie straight from the pit of hell that's trying to stop revival. Because revival is not based on how good you are. It is based on how good Jesus is. So quit buying into the lie that God can't use you. Because through the miracle, not only will God transform and purify the container, He will use the contents of the container to be a blessing to others and let the party of heaven keep going. And some of us also needs to quit arguing with God when God tells us he wants to use us. Because the servants didn't argue with Jesus when he said, go get the jars. They knew how dirty the jars were. They knew. They knew what it was used for. They knew what was in that jar. But they didn't go, hey God, let me go find a better jar for you. Let me go rinse this out. There's some more clean ones over here. No, they just did what what he told them to do. Quit trying to talk God out of using you. He created the container. So when God says, bring me the jar, just obey him and watch God show up and show off. Protect your time with him. Talking to myself here. Protect your time with him for the sake of revival. 
and then be willing to be used in revival. What does that mean? Start sharing Jesus with your friends. Start encouraging others that feel hopeless in life. If you can't, if you're in a workplace who can't say the name of Jesus, then be so full of the love of Jesus that they know exactly what's happening. Pour out the love of Jesus, but be prepared because revival's coming. And I want to be used in the revival. Don't you? I want to be used in the revival. Because Jesus can and will transform. Are you going to be at the wedding or not? And I promise, if you're at the wedding, you're going to be 60, 70, 80 years old, and you're going to be talking about the revival you were a part of. I promise. So this is what I'm going to to do. This is a different, again, this is super rough. I got a prompt in the, in the parking lot. I want to do something different. Typically, I like for us to have individualistic prayers about what God is wanting to do in our heart. But I want to shift it. I want us as a collective to pray for revival. I want us to direct our prayers towards the move of God in C12, in our church, in our community, in our world. Maybe this is weird for you. Maybe you've never prayed for revival. This is what you need to pray. God, would you move and have your way? Would you move and have your way? Would you move and have your way? It, it just begin praying towards the direction and the stirring of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know how to pray, ask God to teach you how to pray. But we are going to pray together as the collective body towards the move of God. We're going to do our part so that God's presence and power can be set free through us. And I want revival to start in this room. And I believe he can so, I'm going to ask, if, I'm going to ask all of us, would you stand now? And I'll, I'll, this is the way we're going to do. The band's going to play and worship. During the first few minutes, I want you to pray individually for a move of God in our territory, in our city, in our world, in our church, in this ministry. You pray with your words towards it. You can raise your hands. You can get on your knees. You can walk around. That's fine. Let's pray for a move of God as they're doing this. Then I'm going to come back up, and I'm going to lead us in a moment of prayer. And then after that moment of prayer, we're going to praise God. God, with all of our hearts, we're going to open heaven and rattle hell's gates, okay? So let's spend some time in prayer. So this is between you and God. There is no wrong prayers in this, but let's just pray for the move of God in revival. Give you about three or four minutes. In your own words, right where you are, let's pray towards revival in our community and in our world. so desperate for your presence that we would be willing to do anything to get a taste of it, Lord. May we lose faith in this world, but we may lose faith in the flesh. May we lose faith that there's anything in this world that could satisfy the depths of our souls, Lord. And may we empty ourselves out like containers so that you can fill us up and transform us, Jesus. But Lord, deepen our hunger for you. And I do ask, Jesus, that you would prepare our hearts for revival, Jesus. First, do a work in us. Lord, do a personal revival in us before you do a personal, a public revival through us, Jesus. Lord, may we get hungry for your presence when we're alone at home. And that we would allow you to examine our hearts and deal with sins and purify us as needed. But Lord, and I also ask that in the spirit of that, that we wouldn't let the sins of our past, the things that we've repented of, hold us back from feeling like we can't be used by you. May we be fully embrace the forgiveness that is offered to us through Calvary, Jesus, so that we can rattle the gates of hell, Jesus, and proclaim your name to the captives. So Lord, prepare our hearts for what's to come. But I also ask that you'd put a deep burden 
in our souls for those who are far from you, Jesus. Lord, would you give us divine opportunities to share the gospel with the people around us, people that are near to us, but far from you. Jesus, would you give us divine opportunities? May we be so burdened for their eternity that we could not not speak. Lord, would we stay awake worrying about the eternity of those that you've placed around us, Jesus? Would you give us a holy, holy spirit torment for those who are far from you? God, we ask you to move, though. God, would you move in a way that shows us how much we foolishly underestimate how badly you want to move, Jesus? We ask that those that we would never think would come to you would come running to you and that they would be transformed and used by you, Jesus. Lord, I do ask for broken relationships and marriages and families to be restored. Lord, I ask for Lord, the miraculous work of getting set free from our past and Lord, mental health and physical healings, Jesus, and that we would be restored, Lord. Lord, I ask that there would be miracles that would be done through us and near us, Lord, that would do nothing other than to give you glory, Jesus. That would give you glory like the disciples, that people would come to believe in you because of what you've done. But Lord, we're not good enough. But you are. So Lord, use us. Use us for your glory. Lord, may we not be a stumbling block for revival. May we propel revival, Lord, because of our relationship with you. So would you move, Jesus? Would you move? Would you start revival in this room? Lord, let it be in this room, not because it would sound cool for us to say, but because we want your presence and nothing more, Jesus. So God, would you move? So God, give it deepen our hunger for revival, prepare our hearts for revival, purify our purify our hearts for revival and propel your kingdom for your name's sake. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may hell be a little more empty and heaven be a little more full because of the season. So Lord, have your way. There's no other way than your presence. Thank you for transforming us and thank you for using filthy jars. Have your way, Jesus. But for now, we will worship you. We will worship you every step of the way. We love you, Jesus. Number two. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the C12's podcast today. Take some time to pray for revival. If you would like to learn more about College at 12 Stone, give us a follow on Instagram at C12Stone. Hope you join us next week.